Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for 20, 30, and 40-year-olds who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season, we'll be speaking all about the skills that pay the bills. I'm extremely excited to have Eileen Willett with me today. Eileen Willett is the co-founder of Cucumber Clothing, and she's the co-host of iEntrepreneur's Wednesday Live interview series. Hi, Eileen. How are you? Hello. I am very well, Kimberly. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your show. My absolute pleasure. So, Eileen, I would love to just kick off with a bit more information about this series. What is iEntrepreneur's Wednesday Live interview series? That sounds super exciting. Well, it is exciting for me and in a way which we might touch on a bit later because it just represents one of the ways that, you know, in somebody's working career, you can change, you can change, you can morph, you can surprise yourself with the different things that you can do. And um, it's an interview series. I'm the co-host. It comes out every week uh, where we interview entrepreneurs from a diverse ethnic background. So it has, it wears a specific lens um, and it's a subject close to my heart as an ethnically diverse entrepreneur myself. Um, It's been a joy actually speaking to a whole host of people. Um, And it's interesting from so many different backgrounds, so many different areas ranging from tech to beauty to everything. And yet there's a lot of overlap. So that has been really interesting um, for me in, in so many ways. Amazing. Well, we'll come back to that for sure. And I want to also just touch on quickly, co-founder of Cucumber Clothing. Tell me a bit about that. Oh, yes. Well, try and shut me up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Nancy Zeffman, who's my co-founder, we founded Cucumber Clothing uh, just over four years ago. And we called ourselves um, Everyday Luxurious Clothes for Women. And our big USP is we use technical fabrics for everyday. So they're fabrics that are incredibly soft. They feel like the most gorgeous cotton. But while they're feeling great against your skin, they're actually working really hard, just like your workout clothes do, to keep you cool, to keep you sweat free, to keep you smelling deliciously fresh, to keep you looking uncrushed. So it's kind of, for us, we just thought it's a win-win in every way. And Pat, oh, I just, I, I kind of just want to go out and buy them and stick them on my body. They sound amazing. I think that'll be what I'm doing right after this podcast recording. So you said that you were from an ethnically diverse background you're, and you're obviously an entrepreneur. Um, for our listeners, because they can't see you right now, can you tell me a bit about uh, that ethnically diverse background and where's your accent from as well? Sure. I know it's a bit of a mix, but I think that's kind of global 2022, isn't it? So my parents are both ethnically Japanese. My dad was born in Japan and emigrated to Canada. My mother was born in Canada, but her parents had emigrated to Canada. So I'm sort of second and a half generation. And then I was born in Vancouver in Canada. Um, I went to uh, university in San Francisco. And then I spent my gap year in Japan where I met an Englishman (laughs) and um, fell enough, moved to England and then didn't leave. So yeah, so kind of a big global mix. And how long have you been in England for? A very, very long time. So I moved here in 1989. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah. So my accent is all over the place. I think that when I'm in Canada, I sound much more Canadian, though I'm accused of sounding English. And then when I'm in England, everyone says, oh, where, 
I can't quite place. I don't quite place. Where, where are you from? I, I, where's that accent from? Exactly. I, get, I absolutely get that a lot too. I think it's, I think we need to come up with a name for the global nomad accent. Yeah. And it's basically a melange of everything, all the cultures thrown into one. And you sound like oh, a completely strange, brand new accent. Exactly. <laughs> somewhere like put the pin somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and then also one in the Pacific. Pacific. Yeah, exactly. Where's your accent from? Somewhere around here. Exactly. <laughs> so we're talking about the skills that pay the bills. And, you know, part of part of what we're doing on this podcast is we're addressing people who are, who are feeling a bit stuck. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I know that we've talked about previously is that we've moved into this kind of digital era and a lot has changed in terms of the way that we need to present ourselves, the way we need to work and the way that we need to show up either on camera or in person. And I know that you have some experience with this. So could you share a bit uh, with our listeners around that? Okay. I'm just laughing to myself because I know this is where, I, where, where this is leading. So I have always been extremely camera shy and I don't I don't think that's a rare thing a lot of people oh, oh don't take my picture oh no I don't or else nowadays because everybody has to have their picture taken some people are very obsessive about how to curate those few pictures that appear if they're going to be tagged in um and I I totally get that because you know our image is a, it's a really powerful thing it's how you are represented to the world and you don't want the incorrect image to go out and people to make assumptions about you in some way shape or form it, it, it once your image leaves your control it is literally out of your control um so I think there's something in and around that even though I wouldn't say I'm a control freak but maybe I am any in any event when we launched cucumber clothing I had somehow to that date more or less managed to avoid having to put out any images of myself ha having to, to to do any speaking having to do anything personal around my work but when we launched Cucumber, we immediately were thrust into you know, Instagram lives and like, you know, you have to be the face behind the brand and doing podcasts, doing vlogs, doing blogs. So I would very kindly or unkindly boot my co-founder and say, OK, you do it. <laughs> I'm doing this. You do that. And she'd be like, oh, fine, I'll do it. I'll do it. And that went on for ages until I was still able to avoid all of this somehow it was ridiculous when I think back on it until we actually got selected to appear on Dragon's Den now for those of you who don't know what Dragon's Den is I didn't really know what it was so I get it it's a television show where they get entrepreneurs to pitch their wares and they either invest or don't invest I can tell you now listeners we didn't get investment but <laughs> the great thing is is they have a three and a half million viewer audience and it forced me to go in front of the camera and to speak and be prepared and it was it was a, a, a huge journey. Uh, shout out to Louise Parsons out there, who is an actor and um, a good friend who gave me some lessons on how to speak, how to exercise my mouth. And I just decided when I knew that I had to do that, I had four months to prepare. I thought I'm going to approach this like I would any other project. I'm going to research it. I'm going to find the best solutions. I'm going to choose a solution or more, more than one solution. And I'm going to work at it. And that's exactly what I did. So that when we actually were on camera, which was a kind of incredible experience, um, it was okay. I didn't, my hair didn't fall out. I didn't go gray. My teeth didn't, you know, I didn't collapse. I didn't faint. And then since then, what's been really interesting is I started to enjoy it. I actually welcome, like, I love being on this podcast. I have fallen in love with the sound of my own voice. 
I'm not going to say I fall in love with how I look, but I'm okay with it now. I'm relaxed about it more or less. And that has been a huge turning point in my life. And one I never thought that I'd, one that I never thought that I'd see. So it's been great. And one of the things I I want to draw out from there, which I think is so cool and so important for our listeners, is that idea of taking something like fear of being on stage or fear of being in front of a camera, which is the kind of thing you think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of that, we're done. And you kind of move on with your life and that's not for me. Or fear of public speaking is one that a lot of people have to have to push through. And actually attacking it like it's a research project. So what are the best methods for getting over this? What will work for me? What kind of resonates with my personality? And going one step further and actually hiring a professional to come in to help you with that. I just think that's ingenious. And what a great way to get over a stumbling block. So if you're somebody and you're in your career and you're stuck and part of the feedback that you're getting is because you don't have gravitas or part of the feedback that you're getting is that you're not great at public speaking or, you know, you have a leadership issue. There's lots of books out there that you can read. But why not hire somebody? Why not hire yourself a Louise to come on in and actually teach you how to do that? I think that's, I think it's so proactive and ingenious and look at where you are now. Well, I have to say, I mean, I can only liken it to the fact that when I want to cut my hair, I don't get a pair of scissors out of the drawer and look at a self-help video (laughs) and think, okay, let's have a go. Or like, if I want to get my teeth you know, if I have a cavity, I'm not going to try and pick up that drill myself. And it's just that same thing that there's some things, there's a reason why some people are expert. And I had six lessons. It was, it, it was, a, it was a huge turning point. It made all the difference to my, to my confidence. And I have some photos of my son during lockdown, which totally attest to that. Me picking up scissors and trying to be a hairdresser <laughs> off the back of YouTube ended in disaster. I could not tell you how excited I was to get our hairdresser back. Um, that's fab. And so, and so learning to speak on camera is one of those things that that you kind of overcame. Was there anything else that you can think of that sort of is a transferable skill that you've had to kind of learn throughout your life that you've been able to bring into either, you know, cucumber clothing or this co-hosting of this series of, of Wednesday live interviews with, with your eye entrepreneurs? What other kind of transferable skills have you found that maybe you've been able to pluck out um, that you could share with our listeners? I think probably the one thread that runs through all my different working bits of different working life has been creativity. So I've always been a creative person and that that's such a huge umbrella term, isn't it? You can be creative about anything really from cooking to probably to designing cars. You know, it, it just, it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge, it's a huge umbrella. Um, but I think that it is definitely a transferable skill. So if you have that spark within you, whatever it might be, whether you, you know, absolutely love something visual or you are very good with your hands or somehow you have the ability to organize things, organize your thoughts in a creative way, that is something that you can take with you throughout. And I found that to be helpful both when I was doing even non-creative things, because when you're even when you're doing something organizational, it takes creativity to think, well, actually, instead of always doing it, A, B, C, D, E, why don't we just put the E at the top? Because doesn't that make more sense? Mm. And, and, and it's that terrible phrase, thinking outside the box. But I, I do think that there's room for that everywhere. And I think that 
that for me, the creativity has been at the forefront of every job that I've done. And I, I really love that challenge. And I love even in public speaking, you know, you, when you're trying to, to, to give a talk, you want it to be engaging, you know, you want people to, to be with you and not against you, generally speaking. <laughs> and, uh, and that takes a kind of creative thought process to say, who is my audience and what will resonate with them? And how can I creatively engage their thought process or their sense of humor or their fears or their desires um, and, 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 and let that resonate? So I would say that's, that's a huge thing. So that's been a really positive thread that's run through my life. And in terms of taking not a negative thread, but I, I'd say that something else that has always been with me, and it's probably because of my Asian background and East Asian background, um, which is this sense of never wanting to put yourself forward, of never wanting to, to be the nail that sticks out, you know, never wanting to be the one with your hand up. And that's sort of inculcated in you at quite a young age. You, you just blend in, blending in, doing really, really well by blending in is better than being the maverick who sticks their hand out and goes to the top of the class. No, you go to the top of the class by getting your head down, working hard and not making any trouble. And that in some ways that works a lot of times because it allows you to be extremely diplomatic. It allows you to work well in teams. You get along with people. On the other hand, it also means that you're never the one with the best idea because you might have it. You don't say it. Or some you, you might tell somebody else and then they say it and oh wait, who does one out of that one? So uh, yeah, but I'd also say that that is also a transferable skill, learning the limits of, of something that you have, but actually making it work to your advantage. So I know that it works to my advantage in the sense that I tend to be able to get along with people. I, I tend to be able to find common ground. I tend to be able to work well in teams. I, you know, have a nice time at meetings. I love meeting new people. Um, and then I have to remember to force myself at certain points to say, no, you need to put your hand out. You need to go to the front of the queue. You need to do a little bit of elbowing, not in a nasty way, but just like, no, actually it's my turn and, and that's okay. So I, I think that it's really worthwhile for most people, even if you don't write it down, to actually have a mental checklist of your own strengths and weaknesses and to try and think, okay, well, these are my strengths, I understand them. These are my weaknesses. I'm not going to ignore them. I'm going to see how I can use those to actually help me in some way, shape or form. And even when they can't help me, at least acknowledge that I, I know that that's within me and try and make sure that it doesn't drag me down. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much that's been studied on this. So Carl Jung is the person who kind of, you know, is a, is, a, is the beginning of personality types. And that was picked up by Myers-Briggs. And Myers-Briggs have come out with the personality test that's done all over the world. And people have kind of made free options of it. There's one called 16 personalities that you can do for free. But one of the things I would absolutely challenge all of our listeners to do is do one of those tests just to find out a bit more about yourself. Because one of the things that I picked up on what you're talking about is also, you know, do you have that kind of extroversion preference? Do you have an introversion preference? And it could also be that you're somebody that has all these amazing ideas, but you do not naturally have an extroversion preference. And so either they don't come out of you, you know, in a public setting, exactly as you said, or someone else ends up getting the credit for them. And so I think it's really important to have that self-understanding. And if you don't have that, there are tools out there that can help you get that. 
And I think that also comes with maturity and age and time. But what I loved about what you said is the recognition that this is part of your culture. It's part of the way you were raised. You don't fight against it necessarily, but then there are times when you have to step out of the boundaries and you have to be able to share with others because you know that's something that could be a limiting factor for you. I think that was just absolutely beautifully stated. Oh, well, thank you. And I, it, it, it can be, it can be a physical thing. I used to get short of breath. I used to get palpitations. I used to, my, I could feel my heart beating in my mouth. You know, if I had to put my hand up to say, oh, actually, I, I think I have an idea. Whereas <laughs> it, it is partly maturity, but I think, I think more than that, it's an understanding that, that you have something to say and that you, if you're not going to back yourself, no one else is. And that's a, a lesson that's often learned the hard way, because actually when you're in a work situation, you are in competition generally with other people. And that's just the way things are. That's how it works. And so if you don't, if you don't speak up for yourself, it's quite likely nobody else will. And somebody else is going to do better than you are in that instance. Yep. And yeah, so it's worth, it's worth knowing yourself and it's worth understanding where you can improve. And I have that exact same, same thing. So I, I, I have a huge stage fright, this incredible stage fright. And I was the lead in every musical in high school. And they used to have a bucket backstage where I would actually throw up before I walked on stage. And then the moment I was on stage, my poor, my poor other halves, can you imagine the, uh, the man playing, playing opposite me during a romantic scene? That must've been lovely. Um, never thought of that until this moment. Sorry, boys. Um, but yeah, I would walk on stage. And as soon as I was on stage, it was almost like that release was there and I was fine and I was able to function with it. But what I found is in my professional career, that was coming in in meetings. That was coming in when I had to do a presentation and I had to find ways to push through it. And I think part of it is understanding what's behind it. So, you know, is it a culture thing or is it fear or is it fear of looking stupid? And I think that's probably what mine underlying it all was is I don't want to say something and have everybody in the room look at you with that look. And, you know, you feel like oh, I should have known that I should have known that. But what comes, what I think comes with maturity is, okay, maybe I should have known that, but maybe you guys haven't explained this very well. You know, maybe, maybe it's not me. Maybe other people in the room actually wanted to ask that question. And it's sometimes I, I actually just put myself out there as the person who asks the question in the room. And it may be a stupid question. It may be an obvious question, but it's a question that needed to be asked. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, one of the most uplifting things that anyone has said to me in my journey of public speaking and, and being able to raise my hand is something my husband said to me, because he did quite a bit of, of speaking. He's done quite a bit of speaking in his life. He just said, what you have to understand is nobody wants you to fail. People are sitting in that audience and they don't want to sit there and be bored. They don't want to sit there and think, oh, what a waste of time. They want to think, gosh, that was interesting, or I really learned something. Or, wow, she was funny, or, you know, great, great half an hour, great hour spent in my day. And just flipping it on its head, because it is that. It's, it's a fear of um, looking stupid. It's a fear of just general failure, that everyone's going to think you're a failure. But if you flip it around and think, actually, most people want me to do well. So why wouldn't I do well? I know I'm, I know I'm okay at most stuff. So why wouldn't I do one? I think it is just having that mental switch in your head and trying to look at things from a, from a different, through a different lens. It can make a, can make a huge difference. 
That's one of the things I talk to about a lot of people I coach, because this is a really common theme. So I think it's super important for us to just draw this out a little bit more is when you walk into a meeting and someone challenges your idea or someone challenges your thought, that's what we think of it as. We think of it as a challenge. We think of someone as attacking us, as someone kind of trying to tear you down. But in fact, flip that on its head. They're trying to get information. They might have information that you don't have. They may be in a very, you know, subject matter expert role and have to know something for that role. So change your mindset when you walk into a meeting instead of here's my idea or my presentation that I own and I have to defend and this is my kingdom and open that out and actually say, my job here is to share what I know and to get input from everybody else in the room. And if somebody asks that hard question, a really great response is, you know, I hadn't thought about that HR perspective before, or, oh, that's really interesting. How did you get to that? Or, oh, I didn't realize that was happening within the organization as well. Can we take this offline and see how these two things fit together? Instead of being like, well, nobody told me that was happening. Or, well, I, I mean, how am I supposed to know? And it's that defensive proposition as opposed to coming at it with this open perspective. So I think that's just really helpful for, for, for our listeners. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, I can completely agree with everything you, you said there. And, and just in addition, I'd say the other thing is, is when you went, when you were saying that sometimes you'll just ask the first question, you'll ask that question, which may feel obvious, but actually there are probably 10 other people thinking, maybe I should ask that question and they haven't. And so A, a lot of people are grateful and B, quite frankly, if you are the person from whom the question is being asked and you think, actually I'm the expert but I don't know it's okay it's also okay to say actually that's a good question I I don't know yeah let me get back to you on that because and and it is an obvious thing to say but it is always goes back to that fear of failure being embarrassed thinking I'm going to be ashamed I'm making my family ashamed of me um you know I'm somehow everybody else is laughing at me no it's it, it actually takes the bigger person to say you know what I don't know I, I really have no idea, but I'll find out rather than the whole defensive, as you say, well, actually, you know, I'm not sure why asking that question. So it's nothing to do with it, yeah. um, which comes off, which comes off very badly. Yeah. And then also think about being on the receiving end of that. So you shut down that question. You're, oh, I don't even know why you're asking that because you're feeling attacked. You're feeling like I should probably know this. And it's that defense mechanism. And then the other person has been completely shot down as well and feels like they asked a stupid question. It's like this horrible, vicious cycle that we could all just pull ourselves out of, be kind to each other, ask appropriate questions in meetings, not attack each other and receive the information in a receiving way as opposed to in that kind of attacking way. Eileen, we could change the world. Let's just, I mean, let's just do it. Exactly, exactly. And as you know, I often quote my father who's in his 90s. And <laughs> one of the thing that one of the many things I adore about him is that he has to this day kept an open mind. So he always asks questions. And I, I think that as soon as we start shutting things down, as soon as you have that defensive mechanism that comes up, you stop asking questions, you stop asking questions of other people and of yourself. Everything just shuts down because only you can be right. Everything has to be protected. As soon as you start asking questions and questioning, you, you are able to learn, you're able to open your world and, and create. And it's just so much more important to keep that openness in everything. I just had someone explain this to me beautifully. And I, I don't know why I've never thought about it this way, but essentially every single person on the planet is wearing a set of glasses. And those glasses are how they perceive the world. 
and no one's perception of the world, no one's glasses are exactly the same. And so you're seeing the world through your experiences, you're seeing the world through what you've done, but your glasses and someone else's glasses are never the same. So you can't assume that anyone sees anything the way that you do. And it's cool when you make those connections with people and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. I totally have that same thought pattern. And, you know, I find that humorous as well, or I've had that happen. But what's really interesting is when you find somebody that sees it completely differently and you're open to asking those questions. And, if, and instead of feeling challenged by that and that they're challenging your views, you're just opening yourself up to new perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. I think we could do with a lot more of that in the world today as we all hide in our corners and get our boxing gloves out. <laughs> 100%. I know. I'm not going to say anything about a 24-hour news cycle causing that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think one of the things that we, we also talked about, which kind of flows really nicely from this, is that getting stuck in mind traps that are something that are kind of given to you when you're a kid. So, you know, we talked previously about kind of the way that we grew up and, you know, I'm the baby of five and what that means for my life. And I know part of what you, you talked about was sort of that being messy when you were a kid and kind of how that actually stuck with you and then how you had to kind of get over that mind trap as an adult and deal with that kind of what, what do you think of in terms of what can help our listeners if they're still feeling very much like they are stuck in this mold or this label that either has been given to them by their family, given to them by somebody at work, given them by a loved one, you know, a, a partner, a spouse, a child, someone, what can help get through that mind trap to get them unstuck? I think that is one of the most difficult things to escape. And I'll say escape is the right word. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people find going home to fam to big family gatherings a challenge, because you may be like the biggest swinging whatever in your world, in your work world. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, she's so cool. Or yeah, he's amazing. And then you go back home and it's like, oh, yeah, here he comes. He's so slow. Hurry up. You're still so slow. Look how slow he is. He hasn't grown up. Or like, oh, you never shut the fridge. He still doesn't shut the fridge door. You may have big, you don't. And you just can't escape. And it's like, oh my goodness, I'm six years old again. I'm never going to escape this. And it, it, it sits with you your whole life. But I think, again, it's like everything else. So you were the baby of five. I was the younger one of two. I was the girl. So, you know, I always had to be nice and pretty and neat and everything. And, and that sticks with you all, you know, it does stick with you all your life. But I think what happens as you move through your teens and twenties, that's a time of experimentation. You, you are suddenly able to expose yourself to so many experiences and people and all sorts of things that you would never probably have been allowed to do as a younger person. And that helps form and allows you to understand who you are. And I think we just have to understand that generally our families and our friends and our partners love us and they want to support us. They can't just, they don't always see our whole selves in the way that we do. So, and that's sometimes because we don't choose to reveal our whole selves to everybody else. We may, when we go home and see our parents or grandparents, brothers and sisters, decide that it's just too much hassle, not to, to, too much hassle to be the person I've become. It's easier to fall back into 
being the child personality that I was, because maybe your new persona is very challenging. Maybe you have entered an arena that your family might not necessarily approve of, or you might act in ways or choose to do certain things that wouldn't be approved of. And that's tricky too. So sometimes the default of just returning to your roots, even if that's painful, is sometimes easier. So, and that's a personal decision to have to make. But, you know, if you, if you want to reach beyond that, and if you want everybody to see you as a whole person, I think it's entirely possible. It's, it's like everything else. You just sort of lay down the laws. It's like, actually, I, I'm not slow anymore. I, I was faster than you. Like, I'm out the door before you, you know, and just remind people that actually you're, you're not the younger brother or the messy one, or you're not the nerd with the glasses who never could kick a ball, you know you've changed and you've discovered parts of yourselves that have become bigger in your life. And you're not a different person. You're just a bigger person. It's like you've added things to yourself as you've grown up and people need to recognize that. But I think that kind of thing is a work in progress. And it it is also a very personal decision as to how much of your true self you want to reveal, not only to your family, but maybe to your work colleagues. And what's really interesting is because we live in these global environments and we're not with each other all the time, you actually spend very little time with your immediate family. And so when you grow and you change, they don't see that growth and change in you. And when you get back together for, you know, an intense consolidated time where usually you're under the same roof, you know, you do just revert back to type. And even if you try to show that you've changed, there's not enough time there. And so I think it's it's giving yourself a bit of grace and forgiveness is one of the things I would definitely say to, you know, if you fly off the handle and yell at everybody because they don't understand who you are now, you know, go back and apologize, mend the relationship, have that conversation, but try to move into that adult, adult conversation. Because I think that is actually the big difference is that adult child conversation that we sometimes slip into at work, that we sometimes slip into in our personal relationships, we definitely slip into with our family. You can move those conversations into that adult, adult conversation, but it's that vulnerability again that you have to bring in. And so that's interesting. One of those transferable skills you can bring from work back home. So it's kind of the the skills that don't pay the bills, but they do pay the bills at home. (laughs) They do pay the bills. And those are often very important bills. And I, I think that in terms of positivity in life, to be able to have a happy home life, wherever your home is, whether you're living by yourself or you have a large family with children or you're, you know, a multi-generational family, um, it, it informs your working life so much that if that's not in order, it's very difficult for your working life to be in order as well, because so much of your head is somewhere else the whole time. Um, so yeah, they're all skills that pay the bills in the end. So um, we are very sadly coming close to the end of our time. And so I have to ask you the two questions that we ask every single guest. And the first one is along this journey through this world of fashion, through setting up your own business. So using your creativity, coming out from Canada with a Japanese background and moving to England, what have you discovered about yourself along this journey? I have discovered that I I'm capable of doing a lot more than I ever thought I could. And that may sound a little bit basic, but it's very true. And that's been a huge positive because I think when we feel that we have agency over our lives, it makes you feel much more powerful than 
if you feel you're being swept along with the tide that washes you in and out. And I really feel that that's one thing, one of the positive things that comes with age, because each experience is another layer in your life and each one informs the next and the next and the next. And over the years, I've realized that I can change and I can do things that I thought I couldn't do and that I am resilient, even in very difficult times. And that I've lived through all of that and I'm still here and I'm still smiling and I'm still glass half full. And that's a joy. And I think that is so important for listeners, especially if you have any of those really self-limiting beliefs that you're constantly telling yourself that you're not going to be able to get over, you're not going to be able to achieve, you're not going to be able to change. You are capable of so much more. And you have that ability to change. And, you know, just even even the example you gave about being able to be on stage and on camera was so perfect for that, is that's the type of thing that people say, I can't do that. And you can you are capable of so much more. So I, I love that. That's fab. And then the final question is, what is the best piece of advice you have ever received? Best piece of advice I've ever received is... Oh, it sounds so cliched as well, but it it was be kind and it's all over. But my mother used to say that. And it's so true because it comes, it comes back and it may take years to make this big circle around a whole lot of people. And then eventually it comes back. And I've seen that happen so many times that there's an act of, of just of random kindness and it comes back and that can it, it can be in terms of friendship, love, support. It can be financial. It can be a step up in the world. But it, it really, it's the one thing that makes the world go around in a positive way. So I'm sorry if that's a bit boring and cliche, but it's, I truly believe that. I think it's the foundation of life. So I don't think it can be boring and cliche. So no, not at all. I think be kind to yourself as well and be kind to others and recognize that giving someone space and grace and room is so kind. And it's the type of thing that when other people give it to you, you appreciate it. So pay that forward and give it to others. And, you know, all the acts of kindness that you mentioned as well, but giving people space, grace and time as well is, is another huge act of kindness and continue to be kind to yourself. Absolutely, 100%. Eileen, this has been fabulous. So where can people find Cucumber Clothing? What is your website? It is www.cucumberclothing.com. You will find us on the web. You will find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Feel free to contact us. We will always respond. Um, and uh, I have my next interview for Entrepreneur tomorrow. If you want to listen in, go on to Facebook, find Entrepreneur on the videos, and you will see me there as well. Fabulous. And are those recorded or do you have to watch them live? No, they are recorded. So tomorrow live stream at 10. And then after that, you can watch on catch up and uh, it'll be a good one. Fabulous. Well, we'll make sure we put the links in on the bottom of this recording. And thank you so much, Eileen. And uh, I hope that everyone has learned as much as I have from you. This has been fantastic about the skills that pay the bills. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to check out Eileen's website, it can be found on cucumberclothing.com. Join me next week as I speak to Amanda McKenzie, OBE and CEO of Business in the Community, as she talks about using her transferable skills to move between sectors and rise to be CEO of this amazing organization. 
We'll see you next week. And please don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment below. And I hope you're one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you. Thank you.